Welcome to The Christian Touch. I'm Ariel Obornski, and this is part two of Contemplative Mysticism and Spiritual Adultery. So if you haven't heard part one, I'd recommend listening to that one first. In part one, we learned that the mystery religions that surrounded Israel and enticed them into idolatry were incorporated into Gnosticism. Gnosticism attempted to redefine Christianity and was the largest threat against the early church. We discovered in part one that hallucinogenic and psychedelic herbs helped people in the mystery religions enter altered states of consciousness, which brought them into sorcerous communication with the satanic realm. Later, occultists learned how to enter trances by concentrating on one thing to the exclusion of all other thoughts. Thus, without drugs, they could focus on their breath, as is done in yoga, or on a mantra or phrase as is done in transcendental meditation, or they could concentrate on one thing as is done in Buddhist mindfulness or Zen. We also learned that contemplative prayer is really transcendental meditation in disguise, and that transcendental meditation, like yoga, is a form of sorcery. Contemplative prayer often causes the same insanity, the same demonic manifestations, and the same kundalini serpent power awakening as those who engage in TM and yoga. Even Christian mystics have admitted to this, as I have documented quotes in my new book, Shrewd as Serpents. This book has chapters on the pagan mystery religions, and Hinduism, which is a close imitation of the pagan mysteries, and on Gnosticism. There's a chapter on Nazi Germany, where Gnosticism and the pagan mysteries were revived before the Holocaust. Another chapter on New Age spirituality, which incorporates Gnosticism and Hinduism with other occult religions. And there's a chapter on Catholicism. I also have a chapter on contemplative spirituality, which began in the Catholic Church, and another on channeled Christian books, which are written by authors who practice the presence of God, do contemplative prayer, and write down the Gnostic messages that they receive from a spiritual presence that usually masquerades as either an angel of light or as Jesus. There's also a chapter on progressive Christianity and on the Word of Faith movement and the New Apostolic Reformation. When Jesus' disciples asked what signs would indicate the nearness of his second coming, he warned them about the great end-time deception when people would apostatize from the true faith. He said, see to it that no one misleads you. Nowadays, there are leaders within Christianity who are writing books and creating videos and podcasts that actually deconstruct historical essential doctrines of Christianity. These leaders are trying to reconstruct an imitation version of Christianity that is more palatable to their tastes. This is drawing many evangelicals to another gospel and another Jesus, one who doesn't save us from our sins, but rather teaches us how to fight against injustice and how to have a healthy self-esteem. Occultists are those who enter altered states of consciousness to commune with the satanic realm and to receive supernatural power from evil spirits. They believe that we can descend with the mind into the heart where we find a light-filled presence of God. Hindus believe that this is a spark of Brahman and Gnostics believe that the light comes from the goddess Sophia, which is another name for Lucifer. During encounters where the mystic has love-light oneness experiences from angels of light or possibly from Lucifer, that person receives knowledge which leads to the belief that he or she is God, which is the serpent's lie in the Garden of Eden. The goal of TM has always been to find the God at the center of one's soul, 
also known as one's true self or one's higher self. It is to awaken to God consciousness, otherwise called Christ consciousness or yoga, which means yoking or union with the Hindu God within the center of one's soul. Note that Christ consciousness is a New Age term used to describe when a person awakens to the God within. In New Age spirituality, Christ is an office that Jesus attained and that everyone can attain when they find the God within. In other words, Jesus was not the only Christ, and we are just as much God as he is. Mystics in the Catholic Church like Richard Rohr also promote this idea that the Christ is separate from Jesus. Fallen angels teach panentheism, that God is in everything. They teach that the divine essence or force of the universe is at the center of every person's being, that we are all part of this universal force. This lie that we are gods is found in the prosperity gospel as well as in Catholic contemplative spirituality and Protestant progressive Christianity. We should note that many Protestant Christians don't accept progressive Christianity and many Catholics have never even heard of contemplative spirituality. Mystics who have the love light oneness experience begin to reject the dualism or the two-ness of Christianity where God is distinct from the creation. They believe there's no good versus evil, no right or wrong. There isn't one path to God. There's no hell or devil. And what Hitler did wasn't wrong. Child molesters aren't evil and there will be no day of the Lord when Jesus comes back to rid the world of sin. Mystics accept monism or oneness, believing that the force of God runs through everything and everyone. Thus, they tend to believe that there's no disconnect between God and man because of sin. They begin believing that the fall in the Garden of Eden damaged our self-esteem. Salvation becomes about being made emotionally whole again and awakening to our divine potential. I have quotes from those who channel spirits and who do automatic writing in Shrewd as Serpents validating that all the ideas I just mentioned are being taught in New Age spirituality, in contemplative mysticism, and by progressive Christian leaders. I'll leave a link to the book below, which I've listed at a lower introductory price for a few more days. In case you haven't heard of channeled teachings, in the Bible we learn that an evil spirit can take over a person's body, being able to use that vessel as it desires. According to the church fathers, demons have created stories, poetry, and fictional accounts of how the world began. Those who open themselves up through trances find spirits dropping thoughts into their minds and affecting the way that they think. Whenever I have found someone especially hostile to hearing the truth of the gospel. Quite often they're doing transcendental meditation, yoga, or contemplative prayer. The late Walter Martin was the world's leading Christian expert on the occult. He said, it has always been possible to communicate with demons, but it is a communication expressly forbidden by God. In Encyclopedia of New Age Beliefs, doctors John Ankerberg and John Weldon explain channeling. Various forms of spirit communication by channeling exist such as automatic writing, narrated visions, and inner voice dictation. Channelers claim the spirits are able to enter, possess, and control them much in the same manner as a puppeteer controls a puppet. New Age medium John Sutton, who is the feature editor of the UK's monthly journal of spiritualism, describes his experience with automatic writing saying, I was helped by my unseen guides. The book wrote itself almost as if I were an automaton pressing the keys to the instruction of another. The idea behind TM, yoga, mindfulness, and contemplative prayer in which people find their center is to find the God self within. Using mantra meditation, occultists either speak or sing a word 
or a soothing hypnotic phrase repeatedly until they enter a trance. So we should ask ourselves, if God wants us to enter his presence by using a mantra, why didn't Jesus, the apostles, the prophets, or the other writers of the Bible give us these instructions? Deepak Chopra is a spiritist and leader in New Age spirituality. He tells us how to enter a trance. He says, I recommend adding a mantra which creates the mental environment that allows you to expand your consciousness. Henry Nowen, who we mentioned in the last video, also encouraged the use of a mantra phrase or word to empty our mind and create the quiet space where New Age mystics dwell with their god, Lucifer. In his book, The Way of the Heart, Nowen spends several pages explaining why we use our minds too much in prayer. He says, one of the demonic ruses is to make us think of prayer primarily as an activity of the mind that involves, above all else, our intellectual capacities. This prejudice reduces prayer to speaking about God or thinking about God. Henry encourages Buddhist mindfulness and tells us to let the heart repeat words without considering their meaning. He says, The popularity of Zen and the experimentation with encounter techniques are also indicative of a new desire to experience God. It is about this prayer of the heart that the Desert Fathers teach us. It doesn't matter if you call it TM, centering, or contemplative prayer. If you repeat any word, phrase, chorus, or scripture verse over and over, including the name of Jesus to the exclusion of all other thoughts, the technique can put a person into an altered state of consciousness. Scripture memorization is different because you're not trying to exclude all other thoughts. Henry promotes centering down, saying, A word or a sentence repeated frequently can help us to concentrate, to move to the center, to create an inner stillness, and to listen to the voice of God. Using many repetitions effectively puts a stop to real communication with God and opens our mind to hear from the satanic realm and to be given over to the thoughts of evil spirits. For some unfortunate mystics, TM, yoga, and contemplative prayer actually lead to demonic possession. Nowen suggests that we follow the instructions which are given by gurus who teach TM. He instructs, when we have spent 20 minutes in the early morning sitting in the presence of God with the words, the Lord is my shepherd, they slowly build for themselves a little nest in our heart and stay there for the rest of our busy day. Henry admits, the discipline is not directed toward coming to a deeper insight into what it means that God is called our shepherd, but toward coming toward the inner experience. In the occult, experience is given a higher value than written words. In an earlier video that I did about how evil spirits are influencing our culture through channeled writings, I give several examples where spirits tell us not to look to the scriptures, but rather to experience. I'll put a link to that segment in the description below. In the first video on contemplative mysticism, we reviewed Henry's quote that he didn't believe Jesus was the only way to God. Even so, his methods of prayer are being taught in at least 350 evangelical seminaries across North America. Now that we know what Henry means by contemplative prayer, that one is to use the Eastern mantra method of centering down to find their true God self, let's look at his encouragement to Christian leaders. Rather than looking to the scriptures, we find mystics urge us to know that we belong to God through experience. Now and says, contemplative prayer keeps us home, rooted and safe. Contemplative prayer deepens in us the knowledge that we are already free, that we have already found a place to dwell, that we already belong to God, even though everything and everyone around us keeps suggesting the opposite. When Henry tells us that everything around us suggests that we don't dwell in God, is the Bible part of the everything he's speaking about? Isn't the Bible sufficient to help us know that we belong to God? Or do we need to be like Thomas, who demanded that he actually have an experience and see Jesus in the flesh and put his finger into the hole in his side? 
As with occult mystics, Henry adopts the idea of oneness or monism, where everything and everyone is interconnected by a divine energy force. When occultists experience the sensations of a divine energy running through them that makes them feel at one with everything and everyone, they stop believing in the dualism of Christianity. The biblical concepts that there is a separation between good and evil, that our sin separates us from God, are then denied. Remember, as occultists suggest that we need to leave the rational mind and descend into the heart, to Henry, prayer of the heart is when the mind isn't involved, when the words simply repeat themselves automatically throughout the day without sincerity. He calls this praying without ceasing and he states, Hesychastic prayer which leads to the rest where the soul can dwell with God is prayer of the heart. For those of us who are so mind orientated, it is of special importance to pray with and from the heart. The Desert Fathers can show us the way. Prayer is standing in the presence of God with the mind in the heart, that is, at that point of our being where there are no divisions or distinctions and where we are totally one. In other words, contemplative prayer leads to the experience of oneness and to the belief in pagan monism and the rejection of Christian dualism. Occultists will tell us that we are gods within, that the kingdom of God is within us. Rather than telling us that the way to God is through repentance and turning our life over to Jesus, Henry says, The most profound insight of the Desert Fathers is that entering into the heart is entering into the kingdom of God. In other words, the way to God is through the heart. The Bible tells us that people perish for lack of knowledge. Yet just as mystics of all occult belief systems search for union with God at the center of their being, Henry tries to put down academic learning and intellectual biblical knowledge. He promotes experience-based encounters claiming that theology is supposed to be about having union with God. He says the original meaning of the word theology was union with God in prayer. Today, theology has become one academic discipline alongside many others, and often theologians are finding it hard to pray. Through the discipline of contemplative prayer, Christian leaders have to learn to listen again and again to the voice of love and to find there the wisdom and courage to address whatever issue presents itself to them. Dealing with burning issues without being in a deep relationship with God easily leads to divisiveness because before we know it, our sense of self is caught up in our opinion about a given subject. But when we are securely rooted in personal intimacy with the source of life, it will be possible to remain flexible without being relativistic, convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, and true witnesses without being manipulative. The latter part of that quote was posted by my worship leader pastor, and so you can see that Henry was promoting contemplative prayer as a way to deal with burning issues, such as homosexuality and abortion. And I ask you, should we be looking to non-Christians who deny that Jesus is the one way to heaven and who promote Buddhism and sorcerous Eastern meditation? Should they be our source of inspiration as to how to be intimate with God and how to handle divisive issues? When Gnostics caused division in the body by teaching against the essential doctrines of Christianity, the apostles called them out by name. Jesus and the apostles didn't stand for false teaching and they weren't afraid to be divisive when it came to proclaiming truth. Jesus even called the Pharisees hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. Apparently, he wasn't engaging in contemplative prayer, which would have helped him remain flexible without being relativistic, convinced without being rigid, and willing to confront without being offensive. 
In New Age spirituality, the focus is always on love, and New Agers and mystics and witches are quick to point out that the Bible says we shouldn't judge. They have a mushy kind of love that accepts everyone without asking others to a higher standard and without calling for repentance or believing in the absolute truth of God's word. Similarly, contemplative prayer leads people to accept all others without asking them to believe the moral standards of the Bible. Whereas Paul told the Corinthians not to invite a man living in sexual sin into their midst, not even to eat with such a man, New Agers and contemplative mystics say that we should accept and agree with those whose sexual sin is spoken against in the Bible. I agree that we should love everyone, but the Corinthian man came to salvation because he was confronted for his incestual relationship and he was temporarily disfellowshipped, not because he was enabled by a mushy kind of love. To allow others to remain on the road to hell without saying a word, without showing judgment, that is not love. Pagan practices aimed at letting go of one's cares does help fallen angels and demons to take over a person's body. In one of my books that was written by a medium who allowed a spirit to dictate the words, the spirit indicated that those who aren't in the moment, if they're thinking about the past or worried about the future, they're more difficult for spirits to inhabit and work through. The goal, according to channeled literature, is to train our brains to be in the now, practicing Buddhist mindfulness or Zen. An example of Zen being practiced in the church is a book called the Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. You won't find the gospel message being presented as a way to have a relationship with God in this book, nor will you find a single scripture verse. Neither does this Catholic mystic point us to read the Bible. Rather, you'll find a technique of bringing the mind back to one thing over and over, trying to feel the presence of God, which is never promoted in the Bible. The Catholic priest Thomas Merton was a mystic who also embraced contemplative spirituality. He taught spiritual formation, spiritual direction, and centering prayer. He said, I see no contradiction between Buddhism and Christianity. I intend to become as good a Buddhist as I can. Most religions have have a mystical sect where the initiates enter trances to meet a spiritual presence. It's thought that these occult sects of all religions can bring us all under one religious umbrella with one leader to rule the world. In Islam, Sufism is the occultic or esoteric sect where Sufis enter altered states of consciousness through certain forms of dancing called whirling dervishes. Thomas Merton also became a Sufi mystic. He wanted to revive in Catholic mysticism the spiritual techniques that help people experience the love, light, and oneness feeling of the spirits. In Merton and Sufism, we are told, as Merton deepened his studies of the contemplative life, he became ever more aware of the fact that in Christian mysticism, most of the spiritual techniques that still survive in yoga, Zen, and Sufism had been lost. We also learn Merton turned more and more to an appreciation of the spiritual significance of nature in which Taoism, Zen, and Sufism so often speak. Merton and Sufism tells us, Sufism contains within itself all the different possibilities of esotericism, resulting in the incredibly rich and diverse aspects of the Sufi tradition. This trait was not at all lost on Merton, who had also studied Buddhist and Hindu contemplative disciplines in addition to Christianity before turning to Sufism. Merton himself also said, I have no doubt in my mind whatever that a sincere Muslim will be saved and brought to heaven, even though for some reason he may not subjectively be able to accept all that the church teaches about Christ. Merton believed that mystics of all religions found the loving presence of God at the center of their being. He said, how can one be in contact with the great thinkers and men of prayer of the various religions without recognizing that these men have known God and have loved him because they recognized themselves loved by him? It is 
is true that there are different ways to him and some are more perfect and more complete than others. After immersing himself in these forms of contemplative spirituality, Merton told a Sufi leader that his prayer tends very much toward that which Muslims call fana. Now the dictionary of mysticism and the occult defines fana as the act of merging with the divine oneness, meaning that all is one and all is God. In a dialogue with a Sufi leader, Merton asked about the Muslim concept of salvation. The master wrote back, Islam inculates individual responsibility for one's action and does not subscribe to the doctrine of atonement or theory of redemption. To Merton, of course, this meant little because he believed that fana, merging into oneness with God and contemplation, were the same thing. He responded, personally, in matters where dogmatic beliefs differ, I think that controversy is of little value because it takes us away from the spiritual realities into the realm of words and ideas. Much more important is the sharing of the experience of divine light. It is here that the area of fruitful dialogue exists between Christianity and Islam. In the Springs of Contemplation book, Merton also said, I'm deeply impregnated with Sufism. So after years of contemplative mysticism, Merton accepted the serpents lie in the garden that we are gods. He said, now I realize what we all are. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around, shining like the sun. It is the function of solitude to make one realize such things. Though the Bible says all have sinned and we are all carnal-minded and that our righteousness is like filthy rags, occultists believe that people are good at the center of their heart. Merton goes on in regard to man saying, Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. I suppose the big problem would be that we would fall down and worship each other. Many, many people have been led to accept Hindu philosophy and New Age spirituality through Merton's writings. Former Reiki master Rachel Kelly tells how her husband, who had gone to Bible college, fell into New Age spirituality. She says, it all started with Thomas Merton, who's supposedly a Christian writer but has some esoteric beliefs. Sumon Kidd was a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher when a co-worker gave her a book by Merton. Reading about mysticism, spiritual formation, and the spiritual disciplines led Sue down the path of contemplative prayer. This led her, as well as it leads many other Christian mystics, to reject Christianity. In her book, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter, Sue explains that she chose to follow the feelings and divine voice that rose up within her. She said, the minister was preaching. He was holding up a Bible. It was open, perched atop his raised hand. He was saying that the Bible was the sole and ultimate authority. I remember a feeling rising up from a place about two inches below my navel. It was a passionate, determined feeling, and it spread out from the core of me like a current so that my skin vibrated with it. If feelings could be translated into English, this would have roughly been the word no. It was the purest inner knowing I had experienced, and it was shouting in me, no, no, no. The ultimate authority of my life is not the Bible. It is not confined between the covers of a book. It is not something written by men frozen in time. It is not from a source outside of myself. My ultimate authority is the divine voice of my own soul, period. Henry Nowen, Thomas Merton, and Sue Monk Kidd are only a few of the mystics who did contemplative prayer and practiced the presence of God who now reject historical Christianity. And I ask, why are Protestant seminaries promoting the spiritual formation exercises of Nowen and Merton when these teachings are leading people to reject historical Christianity and accept New Age spirituality and Gnosticism. 
Two of my pastors have begun posting about social justice, which is of huge importance in progressive Christianity. Not that social justice is wrong, because Christians have always been concerned about making things right in the world. But many Christian leaders who do yoga and contemplative prayer often deny the gospel as defined by historical Christianity. They often begin telling us that social justice is of utmost importance, that the gospel is about bringing the kingdom of God to the earth, not about evangelizing people to recognize their need to turn from sin. My worship pastor who posted the Henry Nouwen quote told me that we in the West have made salvation too much of an individual thing, that it's not so much about repentance and individual commitment as it is about bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. Thankfully, this pastor has been willing to listen to an Elisa Childers podcast that I gave him, even though he disagreed with her on some points. Though my church has never taught contemplative mysticism or progressive Christianity from the pulpit, a few years ago, one of the small groups at my church did a study on contemplative mysticism and actually learned contemplative prayer. My hope is that I can convince my pastors to have the person who's in charge of small groups educate themselves about deceptions within Christian circles so that we can be more careful about what we are teaching our members. If any of you have been having similar concerns about your church, could you please let me know in the comments section below? I'll keep you updated as to how my church responds to my concerns. The sheep in our churches need shepherds who not only teach the Word of God and encourage scripture reading, but who keep us informed about the wolves. We need pastors who tear down the high places where spiritism is being practiced. I encourage you to share this message with your pastors, with your small group leaders, on your social feeds, and in your discernment groups on social media so that we can help to open eyes to the blindness that is coming upon our world, so that we can help keep our loved ones from falling into the great end-time apostasy. In my next video, I'll be interviewing a woman who was in New Age spirituality and who practiced yoga and who also fell for the prosperity gospel. If you'd like to be notified when it's posted, please subscribe and hit the bell below. Thank you.